Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to a new episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, my guest is Marcin Droz. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know who Marcin is, uh, Marcin, maybe just give us a bit of a, a background, a little bit about who you are, maybe what you do, and we'll uh, then we'll jump into it after that. Thanks, Glenn. Thank you. So like Glenn, I'm a Canadian investing in the U.S. and uh, I uh, maybe maybe complicated my life a little bit more than Glenn because I went to the U.S. on the multifamily side from day one. I started in the private equity space in 2007, worked for a firm. We were buying 100, 200 unit apartment buildings in the U.S. Uh, fast forward, uh, built a few partnerships, built a few funds. And uh, yeah, fast forward to today, still doing it. Uh, different markets, but very, very similar strategy. What's interesting, uh, that's actually a conversation I've never had with you before about different markets. So <laughs> maybe tell us a little bit about the story of like uh, where you started, what markets were you interested in at the start, and uh, why you pivoted to where you are now. Sure, sure. Well, I, and when I started, Glenn, I'm not going to any of this it was, uh, you know, kid just learning the business, right? So I worked where where the firm was uh where the firm was working. Uh, but as I look back at it, the reason why we were in, uh, so in 2007, 2008, 9, 10, we were very heavy in Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix, Arizona, that Southwest uh, quadrant of the US was was really big for us. And a big reason for it was because, uh, for those of you who remember when the market crashed in 08, 09, those markets were very, very, very heavily hit, and because of that, there was a there was there was a crisis in confidence on the on the investment side, and we were going down. We were buying apartment buildings for, you know, you're going to laugh, thirty five, forty five, fifty five thousand dollars a door, uh, and those same apartments today are two fifty, three hundred plus uh, a door. So, you know, that was a that was a tremendous run. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, where, are you, where are you buying now? What what, uh, what do you like right now? So uh, I really love, I love the South still. Uh, the, the landlord laws, the climate, the net migration patterns are really strong down there. But in particular, I'm I'm quite enamored with Texas. And, and the reason why I love Texas quite a bit is because the last time the market crashed, so at the same time, 08, 9, 10, when we were in AZ and on the Southwest there, uh, Texas was just business as usual. Actually, Thing called the miracle, you'll notice that Texas was like, no, 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 like, oh, recession, what risk? Like, yeah, it was kind of tougher, but it was nothing like the rest of the country. So, you know, I love, I love that market. I love that story. Um, I think we're in, you know, going in or we're in another recession now. And I think uh, those value plays, those abundance of employers the the net migration factors it's it's really important to focus on on those fundamentals right now and i think i mean there's other markets as well as as you very well know glenn there's other markets too that are that are good during recessions but i really love texas for that uh multifamily story yeah um and you, you just mentioned recession um which is a very hot topic right now um i know when we were um sitting around the pool in florida we we had a little discussion on on recessions. I wasn't actually planning on going down this path at all, but it, it just triggered my memory. But <laughs> I don't know if you want to go into this or not. I can cut this out. Let's do want. it. We it's on everyone's mind. We might as well talk about it. 
So I remember you had a strategy or um, you were talking about leading indicators. I'm, I'm trying not to like just rip you off. So you have something to talk about, but uh, <laughs> you know, you're talking about like, like, you know, some leading indicators and you're also talking about the length of them and then the fear period and maybe go into that a little bit. And then, uh, or maybe I'm, I'm going to have to re-trigger your memory, but um Sure. Yeah. Look, so, so the one thing, the one thing about a recession that most people don't really think of is when you're in a recession, it feels like forever. Like it literally feels like forever and it feels like it's never going to end. And when the market's booming and houses are going up 10, 20% a year or a quarter, sometimes that feels like it's never going to end. So, so human beings, we have a very short, term memory and you know what's important to consider with the recession is if you look back I think it's over 100 or 150 years there's a chart i was i think i was showing you guys uh, the average recession and i'm i'm going all the way back to literally the 1800s the average recession works out to about 17 months and when you put that into context it's not really that long but again it feels like forever while it's happening and in a recession something else happens all the all the discretionary spending kind of kind of goes away like it, it gets it's like a vacuum like immediately and that's where i think a lot of the guys or gals with airbnbs that they were buying for a million two million dollars and getting 20 or 30 grand a month in rent and they, they were looking like rock stars because their mortgages were two percent and you know they're pulling in 30 40 grand in, in, in a month in rent i mean why wouldn't you do it well now they're going to find out because ultimately that market shift that demand is going to go away and you know as you're having to decide whether you're paying for groceries or you know you're you're going to go on that vacation it becomes real simple real fast so um the I, the three major leading indicators i think i remember what you were talking about the three major yeah. leading indicators for 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 figuring out which markets have tremendous sustained value are this number one is net migration so as simple as more heads equals more beds so in other words are you investing in a market that is at least status quo or growing to some extent because if you're in a market that is on a decline then you know it doesn't matter how cheap you're getting something who's going to live there whether it's two years five years or you know however many years from now so net migration is a very big leading indicator and what leads net migration is industry so in other words the jobs people most people move for work end of story very few people have the privilege to move because you know they like the weather somewhere better they <laughs> you know and that's evidenced in canada if you remember during the oil boom we had people moving from you know sunny coastlines up to the middle of north northern alberta because <laughs> they were making 200 300 grand they didn't care fort mcmurray fort mcmoney let's go right like it didn't matter that it snowed however many months of the year it was the cash right so people move for 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 work and if the opportunities are somewhere, that's where people are going to go. So especially now with the recession, you, you need to look at markets where you're, you, you're, you've got the kind of industries that regardless of, you know, uh, superficial demand from, you know, extra cash in people's pockets are going to be there. And that actually goes to the third component, which is transportation. So in other words, are the markets that you're investing on the way or are they just a bubble oversight of something that was on uh, out of the way you know is it something like a me too market out of the way uh case in point i can give you guys uh in uh, so i'll give you two examples one is jacksonville florida that's a it's a great market for a lot of different reasons especially during a recession because and by the way we're not investing there. i just like that market i admire it for for certain things yeah. And one of the things is it's got the second deepest port in North America next to the one up in New York State. 
Um, and what that means is all the boats from the Panama Canal, as they go across from their journey, they end up in Jacksonville. So all those dock workers, all those warehouses, logistics, the buses, the transports, Warehouser literally just made a, it was close to a $2 billion investment on the infrastructure, connecting the, uh, the, the, the boats, the rails, the, the rail, train, air, basically like fully integrated core logistics corridor to ship logistics all the way throughout the U.S. Those jobs are not going anywhere. You know, you're not going to download those jobs. You're not going to that, that those, those are hardcore blue collar jobs that will be there for a while. Another example is Memphis. You've got FedEx, Global World Headquarters, not going anywhere. They're going to be shipping planes. They're going to be shipping goods and flying planes in every 24 hours. That, you know, so every, so you got to look at markets, whether it's U.S. or Canada cities. What are those anchor businesses that are, you know, where people make a, a decent enough income where they could put good food on the table, but at the same time, they're not mobile jobs where somebody can just close a laptop, pack up their stuff and go live somewhere else. So that's the other side of it. You know, industry people go, oh, tech, 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 tech. Yeah, tech's great, but literally, just like now, Facebook's firing people, Twitter's firing people, you know, uh, they're all firing, Google, they're all firing people. Okay, these are 100,000, 200, $300,000 jobs. That's, you know, th those are not what I would call recession-proof economies. Yeah, and you just mentioned, like, even doing that IT stuff, uh, you know, a lot of mm -hmm. that could have the ability to work from home and you could work anywhere, right? Um, 100%. <laughs> so, I don't know, I mean, maybe this is an unfair question, but, you know, do, would you invest in places that, like, based on cars, right? Like, you know, um, I know certain parts, uh, you know, where... For instance, Birmingham, they have like Mercedes Benz there. Um, you know, Detroit has a lot of things. Would would it would because you know that's one thing you can't really pick up and move, or at least they don't move it as easily, right? Would that be solid enough to be considered a, a staple? When I started investing in the US, I did it by myself and had to go through the growing pains of doing that. Glensutherland.com slash coaching. A 12-week coaching program done one hour per week over Zoom from the comfort of your own home. Classes are kept to five people to be able to answer everyone's questions. Shortcut the process. Make fewer mistakes. Curriculum available at glensutherland.com coaching. So I, I know a little bit about the car industry because my, my dad, I was kind of grown up, grew up in the car industry, ironically, with, with my dad running his auto shops and things like this. So, you know, kind of learn things. And so what I heard in Canada, for example, Mercedes just sold off. My dad was literally just telling this. Mercedes just uh, recently sold off all of their shops to, uh, they, they turned it into a dealer model. So you know how you go to like a BMW and it says Bud's BMW or whatever it is? Yeah. So apparently Mercedes, to raise billions of dollars for their electric car lines and also their stuff, they sold off all the real estate and all the actual buildings to raise billions of dollars. And, uh, you know, that that's a major change in transition. So where, where I'm going with this is the, the auto shops and the plants. I, I think the big question is how much of an anchor is it or is it an offshoot? So in other words, is it a major facility? Is it something that Mercedes or Honda or BMW or whoever, like I know Honda's big in the Carolinas, pardon me, BMW is big in the Carolinas. Uh, if they're investing heavily into future tech and robotics and all this other stuff, yeah, I think that's a pretty good assumption that, you know, nothing is guaranteed, but if guys like that are going to invest billions of dollars into infrastructure, that is usually a really good indicator. Okay. And you're, you, we, we already gave kind of a, not, it's not a spoiler alert, but 
we know that you like Texas. We know that you like multifamily. Mm -hmm. Um, why Texas? Why multifamily? We're talking about like making it safer during a recession. What was? What's the? What's the? What's the draw to Texas for you? Well, Texas is sucking up the labor and a lot of the ec economics from other states. There used to be a time in history where it was more of a growing pie all across the U.S. and things like this. Now the the realities are that a lot, if you look at any of the GDP reports or any of the economic indicators, what's actually happening is any win that is in Texas is actually a loss somewhere else. And why is that happening? Well, first and foremost, Texas has cheap land, cheap labor, uh, abundant labor, and it also has cheap energy. And the energy one is something that very few other states can compete with Texas on. And when you combine that with its proximity on the Gulf Coast, all the infrastructure, you got the Texas Triangle, which is the highway corridors, the roads, its proximity to the world, the world markets. And of course, you've got the, the oil reserves, the gas reserves, like there's just, there's so many things that they're doing right. And there used to be markets, like for example, Houston, the more I study Houston, the more I'm convinced that it's no longer just an oil and gas market. Like they have all the different manufacturing uh, components figured out rather than outsourcing, they're bringing everything in. You've got LNG, you've got so many different, uh, it, Texas in all from all perspectives, it could literally be, it actually is it, in a lot of ways, runs like its own country. Yeah. <laughs> like but it's, the size uh, of Canada and, are bigger, right? Well, it, it's a. I was literally about to say that it's a. So the Canadian economy is 1.7 trillion GDP per year. Uh, Texas is two trillion. Yeah, and that's just the. It, it's it, it's its own world. And again, you know, history history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And if you do look at the last time we had a massive recession on a global basis, Texas fared pretty well. I, I have friends in Texas that told me they didn't even know there was a recession until they turned the TV on because everybody was going to work. You know, Uncle George was buying a new truck just like you would anyway. Grandma's getting earned. Like, it's, life is just progressing. And it's, you know, there were some bumps there, sure. But, you know, and, and the other thing, too, is, you know, and I don't want to get too political here, but, you know, the, the rules are a lot more pro-business in that state, whereas other states are a lot more... You know that <laughs> they're a lot they're, they're a lot more difficult to do business in and you have for example caterpillar one of the oldest companies listed on the s p 500 this summer they announced that they're uprooting from from uh illinois and they're actually moving their global world headquarters down to dallas Ooh, there's something there's something yeah and they're not alone uh hewlett-packard uh silicon valley uh success story head office is now in texas you know Tesla, Texas, right? So I'm going to roll, pull this back to the real estate, which we were talking about real estate markets, but your uh, you know, multifamily buying, um, people aren't buying as much during this recession because there's a lot of fear in the water. Are you still buying? Mm -hmm. I'm writing a lot of offers. <laughs> I'm writing a lot of offers. Yeah. So look, uh, yes, we're in the market. We, my, uh, my, my uh, due diligence team is working twenty four seven. We're we're cranking out a lot more LOIs. Uh, and whereas three months ago, our LOIs were ignored because we're very conservative in our underwriting and how we look at the future and how we, you know, underwrite for for our returns for for us for ourselves and our partners, and 
so, you know, so so when we were putting out the term sheets, uh, pardon me, the LOIs back in the summer and the fall, we were writing off about 10 to 20 percent against the uh, the whisper price. Now we're writing probably close to 30 percent plus off the whisper price. So, you know, it's creating conversations. Uh, the, the, you know, I, I think what's going to end up happening, Glenn, I'd be curious to hear your perspective on the other side, too. But I think the people that are at the table right now are the people that have to be at the table. And, you know, unfortunately, I actually think that's going to be a lot more people next year because so I was I was at a conference uh, last year and I was listening to one of the commercial mortgage brokers talk. And he was telling me, uh, telling, uh, telling the audience that. And this was before the rates were going up, but he made a comment that now in today's context is very important. He mentioned that about a third of the bridge loans, which are the types of loans most syndicators took when they bought multifamily assets, are going to be maturing uh, between 2023 and 2024, about a third. That is a big number. Yes. That is a very big number. And why that's relevant is because a lot of these syndicators initially took these loans at 3 4%. Now these loans are seven, eight, nine percent because most of these guys didn't buy what's called the rate cap, so they didn't cap the interest rate that they were going to potentially pay. So they're going to have to, uh, like, they're either going to be upside down or are having or really just breathing, trying to breathe, right? Or they're going to be yep. forced to sell, right? Or looking to well, yeah. I I got it. I I wrote an offer on a deal. Um, the the seller's still thinking about it, so we'll see. But he uh. They paid uh, close to twenty million for an asset. Their goal was to sell for twenty eight. They had, they had an offer for twenty six. Interest rates went up. You know the story. Yep. Uh, we we looked at the deal. I said, boys, I the most even conservatively you I could write on this thing is seventeen. And obviously they don't like that because they're upside down. But one thing I didn't mention to you is they're burning about forty five thousand dollars a month right now on reserves because their interest rate went up and they weren't anticipating it so now they're burning through their their repairs the money they had for the uh the renovations they're burning through for for the interest reserve so they've got maybe six months so maybe. how are they going to renovate the property and make it worth more well they're not and i <laughs> i you know uh what there's a saying in business the first the first discounts the best right so you know, the, take the first discount, take the first sale, but, you know, they want to go with it. So, you know, we'll see. And, and, and Glenn, they're not even alone. Like there's another article I got to send it to you is a CMBS report on the entire mortgage market. And it said that even forget about the bridge loans. It said that about 20% of the fixed rate loans that are out there are maturing next year or early 2024. And they believe that about a quarter of those loans aren't going to be able to debt service the new interest rates. Huh. But on the same other side of this, at, at the start, you were saying like a recession is usually 13 months. And depending mm -hmm. where you consider that to have started, you know, mm -hmm. it might be finishing off in like uh, partway through 2023 or 2024, right? So, so what's... What's interesting about this? So what's interesting about this, Glenn, and and, and I think you, I, you definitely know this is that the commercial market typically lags the residential market by about a year, year and a half as well. Yeah. So what'll end up happening is the recession, as far as consumers are concerned, because you got to remember the retail consumer doesn't care if the owner of the apartment building is having a, having a problem. The point is they're paying their rent, they're living their lives. 
they're buying groceries, life goes on, so to speak. Yep. But on the commercial side, the guys that own the office buildings, retail, multifamily, whatever it is, their pain points are typically private, discreet, and it, it, it's it's a different kind of foreclosure. Like when an apartment building goes into a foreclosure, it's not like when a house goes into a foreclosure. Apartment building becomes a bank-owned asset. The bank has to turn around. They got to figure it out. So it's a lot more subtle in its in its in its form. Yeah. But um, you know, it will definitely impact a lot of the people, unfortunately, that made investments in some of these syndications. That's really interesting to even think about the foreclosures as for an apartment building because I haven't really thought about that a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but so I know that banks are not in the in the in the the business of holding real estate or you know managing real estate, especially. So do they still do they hire out a property manager and then manage the property manager? Because I know in in like the smaller the residential space where I usually am kicking this around, they're they usually just will evict the tenants and let the place sit empty, <laughs> or they'll let people stay there for without paying until it's uh, sold well, as a foreclosure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the multifamily, it's its hard to let 100 people stay for free. Yeah, <laughs> that's where my mind's going. <laughs> so what typically ends up happening on the commercial side is the banks will tip, because you got to remember the way it works in banking, especially if they're acting as principal, not as broker in a transaction. So in other words, if they're lending their firm's money, their bank's money, their their institution's money, then typically they have this rule where if it's your mess, you got to clean it up. So whoever the broker was that wrote the deal typically ends up having to scramble to figure out how to clean it up. And you got to remember the banks not worried about the equity of the previous owner or the owner. They're worried about getting their money, their fees, their costs. Their, they want to get their cash out. So what I've seen happen, actually back in 07, 08, I was a little green behind the ears at the time, but what I saw was some of the, the groups that we were working with, they were having banks call them and lenders call them on different transactions and say, hey, I know you guys own a property here. Are you interested in this property? And they'd say, well, what's the catch? There's no catch. Here's the loan. Here's the terms. Can you take it over? Basically, here's a free property <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because we know you could yeah. because we know you can operate. Yeah. So so that that is a very real possibility where the lenders are going to be stuck with assets that they don't want to. And of course, a bank doesn't want to go through a sales process because that means they have to hold on to this thing for three months, six months, nine months and deal with brokers. And and despite what some people think, banks don't ever want your property ever. They, they, they're, they're not they're not in the loan to own business. They want a return. They don't want any hassles. They want your reports on time. And that's it. Awesome. No. Um, and then like buying these foreclosures, do they do they list them the same way as they would for a single family? Or is it more of like yeah. a pocket listing with a broker that's handling these? So it'll be interesting to see how they handle it because it'll depend on, on the volume and the severity of the issues. Because if it's a one-off issue, and depending on the type of lender it is, if it's a one-off issue, it may not even publicly be an issue because it gets resolved internally. So in other words, you'll have, let's just say broker A has a client that, you know, just goes off the rails, can't handle it, blows through their budgets, just annihilates the transaction. That actual mortgage broker may have another client that they can say, hey, there's this other property, we're into it for X, you know, can you help us out? Yeah. Right. That And those transactions, those never appear anywhere. 
the name on the management company changes and and, and you know business goes on as usual um that that's that's probably the preferred situation but in other which is why it's a great idea to have really good contacts with property managers people that know how to find things because as these opportunities come available they'll typically go to the people that have the most capacity to close you think about a broker or a property manager or a bank most of us we don't want to have to do any more work than we have to so if you know that if you call glenn and glenn can take that unit off your property uh, off your hands no problem here's here's the check hey great perfect awesome that, that that's what we all want the, the second situation is if if a lender and i've seen this too where a lender is into a group and they have three or four properties and they all go off the rails that becomes a bigger problem and those are the ones that tend sometimes get listed with the national firms and it becomes a bank owned property uh you know it's it goes through the marketing process and sometimes unfortunately those situations depending on how much equity they had the lender ends up taking a, a little bit of a cut too mm -hmm. And they also just made me, I was reading an article, I think it was CBC or some one of the Canadian ones anyway, and they were talking mm -hmm. about like some of these mortgages um, and the banks even just trying to be, have the ability to extend the loans for the, like longer terms or interest only just so that people could keep making their payments and not have to take the properties back, right? Um, I know that the lending in the US, you may not know the answer to this, but I'm wondering if the lending in the US, like, because it, it's a little bit more flexible, if they would have that ability to just stretch this out or change it to an interest only or something to keep. You're uh... talking about uh, <laughs> extend and pretend or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's that's what they call it. I mean, look, every lender has some discretion. Uh, the, the bank, the, the capital, the lending channels are a lot more vibrant in the U.S. than they are in Canada. So there's just a lot more depth in the capital markets. And if there are creative ways to you know, extend things, make it interest only, whatever it is, all of that's very possible and very likely. And I actually think we're going, I think there's a lot of people suffering in silence right now, exactly through that, where they're having a lot of these conversations with special credit, the bankers, the lenders, whoever it is. And they're, they're trying to, I'll give you another example. I'm getting, so here's another warning sign. I'm getting calls from people that are, are property management companies all over the country. And I know that politely they're telling me that there's certain assets that are going to be potentially available and i say how do you know and they're they're like well these people aren't paying their payroll or they're behind on x or they're behind on y so if the property manager knows that things are going to go off the rail think about this they want to make sure that they can because they're doing their job they have their people on site they've spent money time and energy to onboard this property they want to retain that client so if they can bring you that opportunity potentially if, if it's required if you step in they can maintain that contract they can maintain that cash flow for their business yep yep that's and and, and that's that that's happening right now too like the biggest thing glenn right now is there's there's a serious crisis and confidence in the marketplace and you have this massive disconnect where the sellers think that it's still spring 2022 and the buyers are all looking at math we all do the same math and we're like okay <laughs> you're here i'm here what would you like to do next and i think the sellers that have to sell are going to be it's going to be a force it's going to be forced it's, it's going to be forced upon them by the lenders i don't think no seller and think about it rationally no seller would, would want to say yes sure let's do this deal and let's, let's lose money but unfortunately people took risks that were well above their pay grades and now it's going to be you know a reset
Yeah. Um, Marcin, I I came up like I haven't even told you this before we started. Came up with two questions I was going to ask you through this whole podcast, and but basically okay. differences investing as a Canadian and differences in raising money from Canadians. But I think maybe I'll have you come back because we we went on a completely. And that's why I love this, like just having a conversation and not actually following the script at all. But I think I'm gonna have to come have you come back to do those topics because. Sure. They're, they're amazing topics and maybe we'll hit it in like you know february or march or something because i think it's uh, a lot of interest to a lot of people but before i let you go let's let's talk about you know your offerings your fund your m1 uh let's, let's talk about what you have to offer for people before we let you go sure yeah i'd love to uh so we have m1 real capital which is our uh, real estate investment company where we buy apartment buildings uh, in the u.s we have uh uh, different funds. Uh, our, our initial fund was U.S. Value Add Real Estate Opportunity LP, and we're we're buying value adds. So I see value, and I see more value coming. So if people want to learn about that, that's happy to have the discussion. Uh, it is for for accredited investors only, uh, Canadians. Uh, in that regard, we do have Americans that are interested, and there's a different way to work together if if they want to discuss that. And then we also have M1 Real Training, which has the the training process for people that want to learn how to either raise capital, structure deals, uh, build teams, invest in large multifamily in the U.S. in Canada. It's it's a it's a mentorship. It's a training program. We have a couple hundred students across North America, and it's a great networking opportunity as well. So we have tons of free resources on the websites. We do capital challenges. We've got all kinds of different things that people can participate in. And it's been very well received so far. Awesome. And if people wanted to like find that, you want to drop a website or something so people can go find this? Yeah, my, my website's probably best. You have to put it in the show notes in case people can't spell it, but marcindrose.com. Yeah, that's uh, if they just Google my name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, Marcin, thank you for coming on the show. Um, like always, tons of value. Um, I love just, uh, I even, I've always said that um, when I go down to Florida, one of those, one of my uh, highlights is just sitting around and picking your brain. Um, I love it. I love to talk about, uh, talk to other people who are doing a lot of big things. And uh, uh, Marson's definitely a person you want to get in a room with just to, to pick his brain. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, Glenn, let me know when I can get one of those hats. Okay. Next time I see you, I'll bring you on. <laughs> Looks good. I, I love your branding, by the way. It's very well done. Oh, thank you. I'll have to tell Jamie. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, and I like always, I love it. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. <laughs>